0: So we already have Genesis 1, right, the creation of the world. That's a big deal. Last week, Joel walked us through how God formed man and woman, and that is a big deal. And today, we're going to talk about the fall and the entrance of sin, and we're going to see just how significant that is for us today. So my hope is that this passage will just help you see how awful, how evil, how dangerous sin is that lurks inside of you. And I want to elevate your awareness for all the dangers that that are posed around you that it poses on your soul. And so as we consider this this morning, I want you to ask, what's at stake? What is at stake if we do not take this teaching seriously? Big things are at stake. For once, our families, our families are at stake. Our marriages, the souls of our children are at stake. The unity of our church. Sin will destroy our witness. It will destroy a relational peace. And our souls are at stake. Because sin wants to harden your heart and it wants to destroy your soul. It wants to separate you from God. Sin is a terrible enemy, and I want you to see that and behold that and meditate on that this morning. So let's turn to God for prayer for help. But most Heavenly Father, this is really heavy. Father, would you give us eyes just to see and to understand the depth of our depravity. Father, forgive us for thinking that there's so much good in us when so much evil lurks in our hearts. Father, forgive us for the many ways in which we have deserted you and your word and we have rebelled against you. And Father, may we turn and look to you, Father, this morning, would you help us just to see how awful sin is, how terrible Satan, an enemy is, the world is, how they're all waging war against us. And Father, may we be humbled. May we turn to you for help. So I just ask for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I begin, uh, we talk about Genesis 3. And let me do just a quick kind of recap and quick summary of the chapter as we walk through a couple of specific uh, parts of it. So first, we see from Genesis 1, God created man, God created the world, and man gets to live in sweet, untainted fellowship with God. Okay, perfect innocence. And all things were good. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. There was no evil. There was no death. All things were for Adam and Eve's good. They were in a state of perfect innocence. and They they would have been able to continue in this state of perfect innocence. Then we get to, let's quickly look at uh, chapter 2. Uh, 50 through 17. But God gave them a command. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and took of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the command, the one command that God gave Adam. And so, now we get to Genesis 3, and there's a break in the narrative, right? So far, everything's going well, and then we have it. Just look at verse 1. Now, break. The serpent comes in. The serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Satan enters into the picture... And as we'll see, and we'll walk through it in just a minute, Satan uses a serpent to deceive Eve. And so Satan plants a seed of doubt in Eve's heart and tempts her to disobey the one command that God had given them. Eve disregarded God's command and encouraged her husband to partake. They both sinned. They were both guilty. That is the moment when sin entered into the world. The world that was once full of goodness is now marred with evil and then adam and eve saw quickly their eyes were opened they saw their sinful condition they were ashamed they tried to hide from god and god confronted them and punished them for their disobedience sending them away from his presence so this is a quick summary of what we're going to see in the chapter but i want you guys to see a couple of things first Why does this matter, okay? Why does the fact that this, the guy Adam, what he did thousands and thousands of years ago, why does that matter for me today? Well, the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that we're all in Adam. We are all in Adam. You are in Adam. This affects you because you are in Adam. When Adam sinned, all of mankind sinned. Adam's sin brought sin into the world and now into your nature and we're all affected by sin, infected by this sin. Romans 5.12, remember, all of Scripture, is so coherent, it comes together. We need Genesis 1-11 through 11 to understand. And Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. okay? Don't let the world tell you that Genesis 1-11 through 11 is just fictional. The Bible t- talks about it as true. Sin came through one man. We see Adam. And what came in death through Sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5 also later says, One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. So church, hear this. Adam is your head. Okay, when you came into the world, Adam is your head. He is the representative for all of humankind who came into the world. So as Adam nature goes, so does yours. Okay, this is similar. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. Similar to when you're in a group project for school. Okay, and you're working together, you do all this work, and you have to send one person to be the one who presents the work of the group. Well, so you send a representative, and that person is supposed to speak on behalf of the group. As that person speaks, that reflects on everybody else in the group. That reflects on the work that the group has done. So in a similar way, okay, this illustration clearly falls short, but just in a similar way, Adam's failure to obey is your failure to obey. That first original sin means that you're now born in sin sin is a part of your nature and so from the very moment when you're born you're born with that sinful nature now sin is your natural inclination you are a sinner you're guilty you stand to be condemned before you start just saying well man how terrible of adam to have done that done that don't forget you would have done as adam did okay he is your head That is what you would have done. And so this answers one of the most important questions that we can ask about ourselves and human nature and who we are. Okay, the question is, are we inherently good or evil? Are we inherently good or are we evil? Now, this is a question that has been debated, right, for centuries. Philosophers have come together and argued about this, and you'll hear a lot of different answers, you know, there's, Very influential men out there, very influential philosophers that people really look up to. You know, for example, you have Aristotle. And he argued that, uh, what did he argue? Morality is learned and that we are amoral creatures. Okay, in other words, we're neither good nor bad. That's what he argued from philosophy. Similarly, Freud, right? He thought that newborns were a blank state. Okay, just blank, and then we were just affected by everything outside. And then you get to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, right? If you've heard that name, it's because his philosophy now influences how our world thinks. And he argued that man would be gentle and pure if it wasn't for the corruption of society. Okay? He argues we would be good. We are born good. The problem is not in us. It's in outside. The outside pressures are the ones that infect us and affect us. And I want you to see all of this, because I, I just really do want you to understand the failure of reason and philosophy without Christ. If you do not have Christ, you will get this wrong. And so do not trust in philosophy and logic and your ability to argue and reason apart from God's word. Because the fact is that today, most of the world follows Rousseau. Okay? They will tell you, Man, mankind is inherently good, what happens is you can be affected by, you know, the society and the expectations that are on you. Those are the things that make you a bad person. They bring out the bad that shouldn't have been there in the first place. And their intent, okay, here in the church, their intent in making you believe this. Parents, watch when you're watching with your, you know, with your kids TV shows. Okay, a lot of the TV shows are trying to encourage this. You are a good person. You are good. You are good. Bring out the good in you. But you have to tell them that that is not what's true, we'll get to that. Okay, you can read study after study, and they'll tell you that mankind is generally good. They'll say the problem is not your heart. The problem is society, the things out there. And the problem is that they fail to see that, yes, the things outside are evil and terrible. The world really is an enemy to you. There are things that can't affect you negatively. The problem is that all of it started from our hearts. We are guilty. We are responsible. The fact that the world is evil is our fault, It's mankind's fault. The problem arises from our hearts. It begins in our hearts and then spreads through all that we see. The evil that we see now is a consequence of our sin. So, because Adam's sin, now we're therefore now not good, but inherently evil. So, it's not that's not hard to see when you look at your children, right? You look at your children and you don't have to teach them not to share not to fight they know that very well from the very beginning but the world remembers and rebellion against what's true their biggest idol right they want to be able to determine they want to be able to say i want to be able to determine what i want to do with my life they want to be able to be self determinate creatures okay they want to take the place of the creator instead of the created being they want to be like god okay that's the that's what satan tempted eve with right we'll see in verse five Let's quickly read it. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? The world wants to tempt you to be like God, to be your own God. We want to be able to determine what's best for us, but that's really problematic, right? If you're not a good person and if evil lurks inside of you, it's really a problem to trust yourself and to trust what you think is best when evil is just everywhere inside of you. And you see this clearly with our two biggest idols, right? Sexuality, okay, we should, we, our world says we should be able to determine and live however we want in our sexuality And abortion. Okay, we should be able to determine and murder if we need to in order to get ahead in life because we can decide. But the, God's Word tells us that there is none good, not even one. So the fact is you're wicked and sinful. You are inherently evil. Your inclination is to do evil and only think of yourself. Think of this past week. I I don't know how to help us really understand the depth of just how awful our sin is before God. And the Holy Spirit just has to do that in us. Okay? But your inclination is to do evil. And so when Adam sinned, what God created to be good was polluted. And now you sin day after day after day. This morning, you've sinned before coming to church. You've sinned in church. That is just our inclination, and it's awful. And even for those who have trusted in Christ, okay, it's easy for us to just say, you know, oh, that's, that's how it used to be, you know, forget it, you know, not something I have to worry about anymore. You know, yes, you were guilty. You deserved condemnation from God, and thank God for you hearing the gospel and trusting in it. Praise God for that. But don't also just say the sin is no longer an enemy sin lives still lives inside of you it's still your enemy that we want to live as if it's not okay let's read romans 7 21 to 24 up there on the screen partly at least Um, and it reads this is paul saying so i find it to be a law that when i want to do right evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god right when uh, the Holy Spirit works in us. Okay? There's good things that come forth. But yeah, we'll see. But I see in my members, my sinful nature, flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and death that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, hear this, Christian. This is the Christian struggle. This is the Christian struggle. Still, sin still wants to seek an opportunity to devour and destroy you. And so today, as you've trusted in Christ, part of your responsibility is to put this sin to death, to fight this sin. And so in order to do this, I just want you to see and understand just how awful and repulsive the sin is inside of us, okay? So why should we hate our sin? And that's what I want you to get is why this morning should you hate your sin with a passion, Number one reason is sin is deceiving. Sin is deceiving. So let's get into a couple of things in our passage. Verse one, at least the first part. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Okay, we see from the beginning that Satan can uses a serpent to deceive God, to deceive Eve from disobe- disobeying God. So Satan is crafty. He is the father of lies. And he will use any means available to try to get you to reject God. Okay, and how does he do it? Okay, we look back at the first at the commandment of God, right there, right above you probably on 16 through 17. The command was that they can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's a certainty in that. You shall surely die. Okay, but what what does Satan do with this command? First, he causes Eve to doubt. So, let's keep reading. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Hear that. That is what the enemy will try to get you to first to doubt God. Okay. But, is that really that bad? I mean, don't you see everybody else doing it? I mean, but like, why would you worry about sinning when he will just forgive you anyways? It's not that bad. You hear the doubt that the Satan tries to create in, in, in us now. So Satan causes Eve to doubt. Okay, let's keep reading. Um, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, so she answered pretty well. Okay, what's the second thing that Satan tries to do? He lies. He lies. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. Okay, and the serpent says, stands against God in rebellion and says, you will surely not die. When God has said, you shall surely die. He says, the enemy will lie to you. Your sin will lie to you. It will promise things that it cannot deliver. Lies. And then, not just that, okay? Satan doesn't stop there. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, two things that Satan does right there. He, one, accuses God, right? He accuses God of being a liar, and accuses God of withholding some good from them, right? Satan's basically trying to say, "This fruit that God is preventing you from eating, I'm not even sure why He's preventing you from eating. It would be so good for you to eat it. You would be able to know the difference between good and evil. You would be like God. Is God just withholding something good from you right now? Shouldn't you go? Like, if that's good, shouldn't you go and get it? Like, wouldn't, isn't that thing isn't what God would want for you? Here, the deception." your enemies accuses God of withholding some good and we fall into that even today and then Satan appeals to our pride okay Satan will appear to appeal to your pride your sin will appeal to your pride that you can be like God we have to be careful and so what happened as a result so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food okay she was deceived she saw okay seen as the sin is deceiving all of a sudden that fruit that maybe she walked by you know, I wasn't tempted to before. All of a sudden, it became very tempting. All of a sudden, it became very enticing. And all of a sudden, she started to see, oh, that looks pretty good for food. I mean, doesn't God give me food? You know, doesn't God want me to be nourished? It looks good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. You know, why would God make something so good and keep it away from me? It looks so good, delight to the eyes. And then the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I mean, isn't it? God, the beginning of all wisdom? Like, wouldn't God want me to be wise? Saw all of these things in the fruit, and then she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. The woman heeded the words of Satan. She chose to listen to Satan instead of God. She allowed her mind to wander and to begin just contemplating and thinking, well, you know, maybe it's not that bad. And what did it lead to? led to their death. Here's the pattern of sin, right? We see it. It's she saw the fruit, she began to desire it, and then she acted upon it. Okay? This is the pattern for sin. You see, you desire, and you act. So church this morning, as you consider your life, stop sin before it's too late. Stop it before you even get the chance to look at it. It's so deceiving that just know that apart from God's help, you will fall you will see it, you will be deceived by it, you will be desiring it, and next thing you know, you will be acting upon your impulses. Stop before it's too late. Do not gaze upon sin. Do not desire it. Do not act, okay? James 4 tells right, why do we murder? It's because you desire and you do not have, okay? Our desires are all out of whack. And so sin, I just want you to see how deceptive and terrible it is, because if it revealed its true colors, It wouldn't be so desirable to us. It never delivers. It's like the apple that looks so good on the outside, and you take a bite, and then it's rotten on the inside, full of worms, full of worms of death is what sin is. And so it looks so good on the outside, but on the inside it's bitter. It tastes, maybe even tastes so good at first, and then when it reaches our stomachs, it makes us sick. It promises blessings and pleasures, but it never leads to any good. So why does it matter that a sin is deceiving? Okay? How does it actually apply to us today? Well, I just don't want you to be naive. Do not want you to be naive and be playing with your sin. Hear this. You should not trust yourself. You should not trust your own judgment. You can be deceived, and you will be deceived. We've all been deceived. We've all sinned. We've all already fallen into it. Why do we think we're so strong to say, well, this time we'll be different? You can't be deceived, and especially women, I want you to hear this, okay? God's Word tells us that it was Eve that was deceived. God has given you husbands, for those of you who are married, husbands to lead you and to protect you from deception. And so, application-wise, do not trust in your own strength. Do not play with sin. Do not trust in your logic. Don't trust in your ability to convince yourself in arguments. Remember, Satan used convincing arguments. Secondly, you need others you cannot trust yourself, that means that you need to be able to have other people in your life that can speak to you and they can call you out because you will not be able to see it. You will be blind to your sin. Just as Eve needed Adam to step up and then he did not. Okay? On your own, you will be deceived and hardened. And thirdly, you need to hear God's words often. Okay? You need to replace the lies of the enemy with God's words every day. You are bombarded every single day with the way that the world wants you to think about life, and what you need to do is just fill your mind with Scripture, because that is what's true, and that will help you from being deceived. Now, they sinned, right? Adam and Eve, they sinned. What was the nature of the sin? Well, a couple things we see is, first, right, unbelief. They did not actually believe the command of God, and they said that you shall surely die. Unbelief. Pride, right? There was something in them that wanted to be wise beyond what God had told them to, and they wanted to be like God. You see, unbelief, pride, rebellion. They knew they wasn't, what they weren't supposed to do, and they did it anyways. And I also want you to see part of the, the, the sin, the nature of the first original sin, is this inverted created order. Okay? There is a part that is culpable for inverting the creating, created order. Adam is culpable. He listened to Eve instead of the other way around. God had made Adam to lead Eve into righteousness, and instead he allowed Eve to lead him into sin, into death. So this perversion, this reversal of the created order, is part of this original sin that now plagues us. So sin is deceiving. Secondly, sin is awful, and I want you to see that sin is pervasive. Sin is everywhere around us it's like a cancer right like a cancer that just wants to destroy your whole body and it spreads through all of it and slowly kills every part of you every organ and so we have to take a step back to see this but i, I do want you to see where it, you see it in the text right so um, let's get reading verse 7 then the eyes okay, they sinned they ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat and then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked Okay, so their eyes were affected. And not just that, we'll see that it wasn't just their eyes, as we see throughout all of our lives. Now we see that all of our bodies, all of our hearts are affected. Sin doesn't just stop there, helping us open up our eyes and that's it. It actually affects every single part of our being. Though God created men and women to be very good, our sinful nature has actually corrupted all of creation. Okay, Romans 1.21 Um, we'll have that on the screen here in a second but um, it reads for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened church our bodies do not work as they should God created your bodies to work and now your bodies clearly do not work and you see that they decay, they break your minds, your minds are corrupted Sin has corrupted your mind. We do not understand as we should. Even our ability to reason has been tainted by sin. The eyes of our mind are blinded from understanding the truths of God. And even our emotions now, even our emotions are corrupted and now bring forth all sorts of wickedness. So hate sin because it affects everything around you, everything inside of you. Hate sin as, it, as you look at how it has harmed every aspect of your being. Let me give you an illustration. And I think probably one that we can all kind of understand very clearly. Let's assume that you were, you know, there was something that was wrong with your body, something that was making you sick. Okay, and you you realize, okay, you go to a doctor and they tell you, hey, you're eating something, and this something, you have a very severe, strong allergic reaction to this, That is why you're having the symptoms. Stop eating this. You'll feel better. Right? I don't know what that would be for you. You know? Think of whatever your favorite food would be, and all of a sudden now it's hurting you. Apply that to yourself. But then ask yourself, okay, would you stop would you stop eating that food? Would you just say, okay, I'm done? Okay, for some of us, right? Like dairy, and all of a sudden we just go to ice cream? Like, we just keep doing to that. So the question is: will you stop it? Well, two questions, right, you have to ask. First is, how much do you like that one thing? What does it cost you to give it up? If you really, really, really like it, it's going to be a lot harder to give it up. Secondly, right, the second question you ask yourself is, well, how bad are your symptoms, right? Like, how, how bad is this? Like, is this something that I can endure? Or is this something that, like, really, really, really need to stay away from, right? And there's, there's levels to this. Some things are not that bad, and therefore we'll just put up with a little pleasure and enjoyment for a little bit because we know that it'll be worth it. But some things would not be worth it, right? Some things are more severe and we actually have severe consequences to our bodies, and it wouldn't be worth it. So two questions, right? You ask, how much do I like it? How severe is this? What are the consequences for this? And that will help you make your decision. If it will kill you, you would probably not eat it. Simple as that, Right? Well oh, and that's what sin wants you to think. This is what sin wants you to think. Sin wants you to think, you know, this is really, really pleasurable. This thing that you do, you know, you know you're know you not supposed to do. You know that God said you're not supposed to do. Sin knows these two are the criteria you're going to use. And, the, and sin says, but this is really, really good. You really need this. You could not live apart from this. It makes this, again, the seed the, the part makes this really appealing. And then sin wants you to think, and... On top of that, it's not that bad. Nobody has to know. Okay? Like, you know, it'll pass away. It's not really that bad of consequences. But church, <laughs> I want you to remember this. Whatever pleasure sin may bring, it is never ever ever worth it. And so we should rightly want to give that up. Say no to the enemy, to the lies of the enemy and say, "No, this is not as pleasurable as you're making it seem. It is not worth it." There are better things for me to be spending my time. The Word of God gives us pleasures forevermore, and they're found in Christ, not in the world, and not in sin. Second, God's Word tells us that there's a reason that everything, sin is the reason that everything is evil. So then, what are the consequences? Sin will tell you, oh, not that bad of consequences, but the truth is that there are severe deathly consequences to sin. Think about this. Sin is the reason why sickness exists. Sin is the reason why wars take place. Sin is the reason for every pain and every affliction, every natural disaster. All of it is a consequence of the fact that sin lives in our world. Many died through one man's trespass. We're all guilty. This is what we deserved. Even creation has been affected by and corrupted. So it no longer serves us as we should. And even, Romans 8 tells us, it, it even groans for the redemption that, it, that is coming to it as well. So now all of it is being, is punishment from God. All of it suffers the consequence. We see this everywhere. And so see the widespread consequence of sin. See just how bad and how terrible it is, and then hate it. Hate the sin. Church, will you despise your sin? Will you run from it? Will you even think about church members that you love that are sick and you long for them to get better? And then you think of them and say, sin is the reason why sickness is even in the first place. And then say, I don't want to have anything to do with what's making my loved ones sick. Will you please If anything, just think of those who are sick among us and say, God, will You help me run from my sin? So sin is pervasive. It spreads everywhere. It has consequences. And one of those consequences is shame. Shame is a consequence of sin. I'm not going to spend too much on this. I just want to make a quick point that I think is important. Uh, verse 7, again, it says, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They knew that they were exposed, they knew that they should be condemned, and they tried to hide it in vain. And so, all I want you to see from this, I want, just want you to see that shame is a tool, it's a natural consequence of sin. It is the rightful natural consequence of sin, and it is a, God, a tool that God uses to help you see that you need to turn to Him. You should feel ashamed when you sin. The world and the church in general says that anytime you feel shame, there's something wrong with the outside. No, no, when you hear a sermon and it makes you feel ashamed of your sin, the problem is not with the sermon most likely, the problem is with your heart. And so you should feel ashamed when you sin. That is the natural consequence. That is what we should feel. And so, would you just let that shame help you run and go to God? Okay, that's all I'll say about that. Next is sing brings cur- curses. Um, let's just skip to verse 16. So God confronted Adam and Eve, right? Yeah, they ran away from him. They tried to hide. And, of course, they couldn't because God sees everything. And so, well, let's just pick it up in verse 13. These are the, this is the beginning, the beginning of the curses. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And thus you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, Okay, here's the part of the beginning with the curses that come to us. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Is that true? It's true. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, okay? hear this inverted created order, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Here's the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles which shall bring forth for you and, shall, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. What are the curses for man and woman? Okay, I want you to see that these curses, God designed them specifically to, accept, to, to impact the, the primary duty, the primary role For which God created you to live, okay? They affect the very core of your responsibility, either as a man or as a woman. Okay, what does that look like for women? It affects conception, right? Even just getting pregnant and the discomfort of being pregnant is part of the result of the curse of the fall. Childbirth, how painful that is! Do you realize just how? childbirth is, causes a lot of we, we know this in our church is how childbirth can cause very is very dangerous it can cause severe consequences to the body of the mom and to the child it's always whenever someone's going to labor there's always a chance that something could go wrong that's not how god designed it to be it's painful it's dangerous and even rearing children moms is that easy it's not easy we have sinful children who make it really hard for us okay even rearing children. It comes with difficulties, with expectations that are not right, and even rearing young children and older children is a painful process. And again, this is not how God designed it to be, because God made women and gave them the wonderful privilege of bearing children and, secondly, of submitting to their husbands. Remember what Joel said last week. This is pre-fall, the submission to husbands. And both of these fundamental roles were affected by the fall. All of this pain is a reminder of what we deserve. The sweet role, even of submission that God gave woman, now is brims with difficulty. We see that in our marriages, right? And women, when you are tempted to rebel against your husband's leadership, see this, okay? At least be encouraged by knowing this is part of, this is, this is part of the curse. okay? Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It is hard. It is hard, and it's designed to be hard because sin lives inside of you. Sin has corrupted your ability to sit under it. And so, women, God has... Sin has affected you in your very primary role, okay? Submission and obeying children. And men, what's your curse? Work, okay? He has impacted you in your work. God made men to bear the responsibility to work and provide, Okay, this is the general pattern of Scripture. That's not to say, right, that women could never work. But we really should be able to say that we can learn a lot about the way that God created us from the narrative and from the curses that God has given us. Okay, man has to work hard and exert himself to lead and to provide. Again, this was something that should have been much easier, much more rewarding pre-fall, and now is very difficult. You see unemployment, right? You see the difficulties that it comes even to put bread on the table. And we feel those effects even right now, especially when the economy is not good. Now, this is the responsibility, this is the curse of man. And we see if this was also the woman's responsibility, right, we would see that there would be similar punishments. And no, the woman is to bring forth children and exert herself through raising them, okay? That is the general pattern that God has set for us. And that is the good pattern. Don't despise your rules, This is fundamental to how God has created you. So, sin affects you at the very core of your responsibility, at the very core of your day-to-day. Every single day, you should be reminded just how awful sin is because you see its consequences. But the most severe consequence is excommunication. Okay, we'll see this. Let's read verse 22 and 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword to turn every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So worse than any physical punishment we can experience is the fact that our sin separates us from God. And Adam experienced that very clearly. That relational closeness that Adam and Eve both had with God would be no more. God sent them away to experience life and pain away from him. And so from now we see from this point forward, all of history has changed. All of history has changed. Now we live in pain in a separation from God from what we were created to be. And so in the next few chapters, we're just going to see the devastating consequences of that sin. We see death, we see judgment, and so you have to see it and you have to hate it. Because church, God's wrath awaits sinners. If you are here this morning, you have not trusted in Christ. Know that God awaits sinners and His judgment awaits you and you are a sinner. He is a judge and you have to know Him as a judge to know what your punishment is, what, how you deserve, to bear all of God's wrath upon you for the sin that you have committed against the holy God. Apart from God, you'd be liable to eternal torment, eternal death. And then just look around, even just look around the church. Think of all that you deserve in all the ways in which your sin, all the punishments that you deserve to pay, and then look around you. Is this how God has treated you? Hasn't God been so kind to you? Okay, how how then, how can our sins be dealt with? That is the question that you have to ask yourself is, what will I do with my sin? What will I do with my sin this morning? We should all be able to recognize just how terrible our sin is, to recognize that God will be right to take away whatever is dear to us, and that would be less than we deserve because God has already been kind to us. Our sin has been awful to us. That is who we are. We should feel the shame of our sin. We should know that we should be judged. And so what are you going to do with that sin that lives inside of you? How are you going to atone for your sins? We all have to come to this question to this point where we say, "What am I going to do? I don't know how to atone for this. I feel guilty. I feel shame, and I do not know where to turn. I can try to do really good things and I can try to make up for what I've done wrong but that just never seems like that's enough and that's because it's not and some of you will try to say well I will try to punish myself I'll try to bring upon myself penance and penance and bring punishment to myself maybe that will make me feel better and that's not going to make you feel better because that is not enough you need something to cleanse you better yet you need someone to cleanse you and wash you clean and God knows this too and so even in the story of the narrative of how sin came into the world, God knows that you would need someone to help you and save you. And he's given us hope. He's given us hope. Let's read verse 15. God says, I will put, this is to um, the, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, now we see, right, there's the en- there, we have an enemy. between your offspring and her offspring hear this he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel what is this right what is this maybe it seems pretty obscure at first but what is this but a promise of the fact that one day the seed of the woman the seed of eve will one day crush the serpent's head satan would be defeated before sin gets too carried away and says, I was victorious because I led even to sin, God says, no, I will be victorious. I will declare deliverance. I will be victorious. God will destroy the power of sin and death, and God will rescue his people from the slavery to sin. He will forgive their iniquities. And so Genesis 3.15, from the beginning, God says that he has a hope and a promise of a better Savior of a better Adam, Jesus Christ, the better Adam. Romans 5, 18-19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, we see that in Adam, so one act of righteousness, Jesus leads to justification of life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. As you sit here, you do not know what to do with your sin, recognize this you can be made righteous you can actually experience forgiveness you do not have to feel guilty anymore because the only one who did what adam couldn't do in keeping the law of god is not you you know that very well it was only jesus he kept the law perfectly he had the power to crush the serpent's head but this was costly too right we see that his heel was bruised And so what did it cost Jesus to pay for the penalty of your sin? It cost him his own life. His very own life was given for you. Christ on the cross is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So that whoever would look upon Jesus, confess their sins to the Lord, repent, and turn to him as their only Savior, you can receive forgiveness from your sins. Okay, so what do you do with your sins? This is what you do. You nail them to the cross. You said, Jesus has done away with this forever and ever. And he is my savior and I no longer trust in myself. And so let me just end with this as we walk through our passage. Let me end with this. What are you going to do when God asks you, as he did with Adam and Eve, where are you? In verse 9, but the Lord called to man and said to him, 'Where where are you? Where are you? Church, where are you? Adam and Eve heard this question from God. And what did they do? They ran, rightly, because they knew they were guilty. But what did they do? They ran away from God. When they really should have been running to God, begging for forgiveness and mercy. What did Adam and Eve do? They sowed fig leaves to try to cover themselves in vain. When really only the blood of Jesus can cover them. And just like I asked you at the beginning, how do you measure your life? the most important day of your life, when you're turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, from a wicked sinner who can do nothing but sin and live under slavery, if you trust in Jesus Christ, today can be a milestone day because now you can be made righteous under the blood of Jesus Christ. You can receive forgiveness from sins today. And you can experience that today. You can repent from your sin and experience blessings upon blessings from God. Today can be the most important day of your life. So do not delay. Do not delay. Run to jesus church run to him daily stop trying to be found in adam trying to make it right by your own ability to work instead be found in christ and his work he can cleanse you he can heal you he has paid for the consequence of your sin he has taken that curse upon himself his love for you is rich and his mercy really is abounding so let's pray most heavenly father we do not deserve any of your blessings lord We just stand before you and we have absolutely no reason why you would want to love us, why you would want to shower us with blessings, why you would want to be kind to us. Lord, we deserve far worse than how you've treated us. And yet, Lord, in our deepest of sins, in our worst of our rebellion, Lord, you saw us and you chose us and you have called us to yourself. And so, Father, may we not run away from you, may we run to you. And Lord, may we as a church hate our sin, repent from it, and run to you for help and for forgiveness. Would you be kind to us this week? In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Praise the Lord, His mercy is more stronger than darkness, and new every more. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness and new every mole. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. What faith Patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father, so tender, is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Riches of kindness He lavished on us His blood was the payment, His life was the cause We stood neath a debt we could never fall Our sins they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, a new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. darkness anew new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more